I've not always been a good man. Like the biblical tax collectors and harlots and drunkards that often came to Jesus looking for hope, my life was once one that was synonymous with all that is wretched and sinful in this world. That life that I used to live, it kind of began a downward spiral that ultimately landed me in prison. You know, prison, it hardens a lot of people. A lot of people will never change. When they're put in prison, they just get worse and worse. But, but some, very few in comparison, some will actually change. I'm here today preaching to you because I did change. And, you know, I love to help people change. I love to see people change. It is a beautiful thing to see people make positive changes in their life. And so today, I want to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable for me. And I want to tell you a story from my life in prison today. I do that with the purpose or, or with the hope that it might help someone to change. That might be someone present here today. It might be someone who is watching on our live stream today. Or perhaps it could even be someone in the distant future who comes across this recording and watches it. doesn't matter. I'm, be, I'm, help, I'm happy to help anyone who wants to change. And it doesn't really matter if a person has big changes that they need in, to make in their life like I did or, or what is most often the case in the church. Maybe, maybe there's someone who needs to make little changes in their life. Well, the principles that I'm going to share with you today are applicable in whatever, whatever type of changes that you need to make in your life. I had been in prison for just a couple of months, but a couple of weeks in what would ultimately end up in a three-month stay. And for the first time in a very long time, I could actually think clearly. One day, someone gave me a Bible, and I began reading it. And I began to think about my life and what got me to where I was and what people, especially my family, must think of me. And I got to thinking about where my life was headed. And as I, as I thought on these things, I started to pay attention to some of the other inmates that I would see on a daily basis. And there were three particular situations that happened over the course of my stay that involving other inmates and discussions or situations that would arise that I took note of. I didn't do it consciously. It's just like they happened and, and immediately they just became important to me as I was contemplating my own life. And the first of these situations was there was a young man who, who came, to, came uh, to prison about the same time as I did, and shortly thereafter he was released. And then a little bit later down the road, I mean, it just seemed like it was a matter of days, and he was right back in there, and then he was released, and he was back. This cycle took place numerous times in the three months that I was there. This man was in and out, and I thought to myself, is this guy ever going to learn? Boy, I don't want to end up like him. A second situation took place as me and some of the other inmates were sitting around a table during the time we were given to do this, that we could converse with one another, and we would often play little dominoes that we cut out of little pieces of 
pieces of paper. We'd make our own little dominoes out of paper. We were sitting there playing dominoes, and we were discussing one of the hot topics among inmates is what are you going to do when you get out of here? What's the first thing you're going to do? And I'll never forget this one individual, when he was asked that, he said the first thing he was going to do, he was going to go down to Popeye's Chicken, he was going to get him a two-piece dart, and then he was going to get an eight ball of crack cocaine. And I thought, are you kidding me? This man, it has not dawned on this man that that's why he's here. And he still has, has no ambition or aspirations at all that he just plans to immediately go do exactly why he, the thing that got him in here. And Boy, I don't want to end up like him. Third, the third situation that I remember is distinctly is that there was an, most inmates are, are young to middle age, but this one particular man, I recall, he was much older, probably in his 70s, and he didn't get old in prison. He, he actually uh, had only recently been arrested. For what was he arrested? Drug use. And I thought to myself, man, I, I thought what I was doing was just a phase, and I was going to quit later, and boy, I sure don't want to end up like that guy. Over time, these three situations really got my attention. It was almost as if I could see my life passing before my eyes in stages. And I reasoned, if I keep going the way that I'm going, I'm going to end up being like that guy over there who's in and out of here all the time. And it's going to end up causing me to be like that guy, so cold and callous that I'm not going to want to change. And then I'm going to end up being that old man right there in here for the very same thing. And that's going to be the pattern of my life to the day I die. And these things scared me. It really honestly scared me. It was like I saw my life. <clears throat> it was like the Christmas carol. It was like I saw my life in front of me. And it scared me so bad I decided that this was my only best chance to change my life. This was my one shot to get it right. And so it was about that time that I decided I was going to fight for my life <clears throat> as if this was the only chance I had. I was successful in changing my life. I didn't do it alone. I had help. But I'm certainly not in the majority. Many people face similar situations to mine, and they are not successful in changing their life. And so today I want to examine just briefly some of the key, what I think were the key factors that brought about changes in my life that brought me not only to sobriety, but also to salvation in Christ. And these are things that not only can be seen in my life, but what caused the prodigal to come to himself? The Bible tells us that this son, he, he took his inheritance and he left his father's home and he went into a far land and at some point he came to himself. What caused him to come to, him, to, come to himself, as the Bible puts it? And change. Or what about the other son, the son of another of Jesus' parables who when his father told him to go work in, my, in his vineyard, he told him no, but later he changed his mind, repented and did what, and went and worked in the field. What caused him to change his mind? Now one might quickly answer, especially a member of the church who's very familiar with these verses, one might say, well, godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, so godly sorrow bringeth repentance, uh, work of repentance uh, unto salvation. That's clearly what it was. And yes, that's true, but I'm trying to go a little bit deeper than that. What, about, what brought about the godly sorrow? One might say, well, he realized how he treated his father, and he realized that the way he treated his father was a sin. And I would say, yes, that's true. But still, I want, what brought him to that realization? I want to go a little bit deeper than that. 
there is a verse that I want us to use today. It was read to us moments ago, and this will serve as our text today because I believe this verse lays out very well the process that I want to discuss with you today. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Now, Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jerusalem, the holy city, had been destroyed. It lay in shambles. The Babylonians had carried all the Jews away into captivity, and he was, and Jeremiah was urging them to realize that the suffering that they were going through were, was deserved. They were suffering because of their own sins, and they deserved that, but God still loved them and would be compassionate toward those who repented. I think the same is true for all of us today. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. What are some things that we can do to help us to affect change in our lives? We're going to take these points right from the text today. Lamentations 340, a book that doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Let us notice as our point number one, the writer says, Let us search our ways. This Hebrew word translated search, in the Hebrew lexians, it broadens our understanding of what this word means. It means to search carefully, to search diligently. Other, other lexicons add the phrases to think out or to ponder. In other words, this means to probe our behavior, to do some serious soul searching. To the this is the ability to look at your own life and see what road you're on. Observation, when applied to one's own personal, uh, one's own person, can be is often used, uh, stated in this word, self-assessment. So perhaps this might be an easier for, first point for us to remember today. And first, we want to make a self-assessment. Making a self-assessment includes looking at my personal actions and my personal attitudes. It's my ability to learn what I've taught. My ability to perform a task that I have been assigned. And, and here's the real key to it, though. The ability to, it's the ability to do it and to do it in an objective way. In other words, not in a way that is influenced by my feelings or my opinions. You might say it's the ability to look at your own life the way others see you. Not the default way that we see ourselves. Well, oftentimes the default way we see ourselves is that we can never do anything wrong and the world revolves around us, right? That's the default way. This is, this is complete, this is an objective looking at ourselves. To be able to see ourselves in a way that someone who's not a friend nor an enemy, just a completely unbiased individual, how would they look at me and my actions? You know, it can be very hard to look at ourselves and see ourselves in the way others see us. It can be a very hard thing to do, and I suspect some people maybe are better at this than others, yet everyone has to give effort to master this skill, if it can even be mastered. Hard as it may be, every man, woman, and child on earth needs to develop this ability to be better, to be better versions of ourselves. In, other, in order to affect personal change in my life, I have to be able to look at my life and see what I really am. You can never make changes unless you can see clearly what you're trying to change. We need to be able to do this for better relationships with one another. Because if I can't see myself the way the person I'm in a relationship sees me, 
that's going to cause some hindrances to my relationship. It also includes my relationship to God. Everyone needs to develop and, maintain and, and hone this ability to assess themselves. We need to search our ways. And as I mentioned in my story, for the first time I was, since I had been about 14 years old, I found myself sober enough, and I mean that in both terms of sobriety and in mental awareness, I was finally, for the first time since I was 14, sober enough to look at my life and make an assessment. I began to think about things like what got me here, what my loved ones must think about me, and where my life was headed, and I had started the process of self-assessment. Let's go back to the text, and Jeremiah continues and says, Let us try our ways. He's speaking to the Israelites who are in captivity and they're suffering because of their sins. And I think of the suffering that I was doing for my own sins. And, and I, so, I, so I turn these words, I make the application of these words to my own life. I need to try my ways. The, word, the Hebrew word translated and try is expanded by lexicons to include, it means to investigate. It means to examine. This word is somewhat of a synonym to the last, but there's a minor difference between them, and it is that minor difference that I really want to point out to you. That minor difference is in the previous point, we observed our ways. Whereas now, the word gets more to the idea of putting those ways to the test. I'm going to subject those ways. Now that I can see myself the way others see me, now I want to take, put those ways to the test. Where's this going? I want to examine them. I want to investigate them. We call this self-examination. Where are my ways taking me? This road in life that I am on, where does it lead? What is the most expected result if I keep doing what I am doing now? Someone had given me a copy of the Bible. And so when I began to examine myself, I was comparing my ways to what God wanted. There is no higher standard by which we may examine ourselves, but neither is there one more rewarding. I would encourage you to examine yourself in the light of God's Word, but nevertheless, we have to examine ourselves if we want to make a positive change in our life. And it wasn't hard for me to see where my life was headed if there was not a change. Neither was it hard for me to see where my soul was headed if I didn't change. So I began to challenge my thoughts. I used to think that my ways were better, better than the ways of others. If you can believe it, I literally looked down on those who live godly lives as if, they, as if I had it figured out and they were just, just ridiculous, silly human beings. Look where it got me. I used to think that drugs were just a phase that I would grow out of, and, and even if I didn't, I really didn't see that they were that harmful, but now I was addicted and my life was quickly spiraling out of control. More and more I began to think about my past state, mistakes, the warnings that people had given me that had all gone ignored. And the more I examined, you know what? The more it hurt. Examining yourself hurts sometimes. We have to be prepared for that hurt. Change hurts. It, hurts. it hurt me because I started feeling really ashamed of my behavior. When I started seeing myself through the eyes of others, I started really feeling ashamed about the mistakes that I was making. But here's good news. God has something to take away that shame, but we will get to that in just a little bit. Let's go back to the text. Jeremiah continued, Let us turn again to the Lord, 
That word turn again in Hebrew is expanded to mean to return, to turn back, or to repent. Like a ship at sea, and I think a good word to sum this one up would be self-correction. Sometimes we need to correct ourselves. Like a ship at sea, we must often check our heading and we must correct ourselves. We must correct the course that we are on. If a ship is allowed to drift off course for long enough, it will most likely encounter a storm or a reef or some other unforeseen danger and the ship and its entire crew could be lost. Our lives need such correction along the way. Turning back from our mistakes can be very hard. It's hard to, first of all, it's hard to admit that we're wrong. It also requires a lot of dedication to overcome some of those bad habits in our life. Missteps along the way can be very discouraging. And believe it or not, not everyone wants to see us change. And those that don't will hinder us and they will discourage us. Turning around from our behavior is not the only thing in view here though. The word translated turn again here is also translated in other passages as repentance. And the thought is the same. In fact, that is what repentance is. It is the act of turning from your current path and returning back to God. A person might say, well, why do I need to return back to God? I didn't know I left Him. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2 tells us that we did leave Him. When we sin, when we, when we invite sin into our life, sin separates us from God. And so we have to turn from the path that we're on and turn back to God if we want to have a relationship with God. We must first realize the path that we're on. But we need to understand where that path is headed. And then we have to turn from that path. But even then, when we turn from that path, we find that there is still a gap between us completely getting back to God. There's still a gap that my turning my life around cannot cross. How do I cross that gap? Thankfully, God in His great infinite mercy and grace provided a way for man to cross the gap of separation and that that way is Jesus Christ. He is our go-between. The term that we find, there is a term that we find in our Bibles that conveys this idea of a go-between. Someone who goes between or someone who fills the gap. It's called mediator. Christ is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Having evaluated and examined my life, then I began to correct it. I had God's Word to help me with the process. And then when I was released, I had God's people to help me as well. And and that shame, remember that shame that I told you I had? In time, I realized that that shame lessened more and more. As I realized more and more that having been baptized into Jesus Christ, my sins had been washed away. And God would remember them no more. Those things that I used to do were gone from the mind of God. And so there was no need for me to continue to ponder and feel the guilt of those things. They were over. I was no longer that man. Friends, we have been talking about the keys to change. Some people seem to be very apt to change, while others seem to be very resistant to it. Some situations are undoubtedly harder to change from than others, but it can always be done with God's help. 
Friends, it has happened too many times to too many people for us to deny. God can help us through any change. We have noticed from a real-life example and from this biblical text three important keys to change. Self-assessment, self-examination, and self-correction. Now I just humbly ask you if there's something in your life that you know needs to change. I encourage you to let God be part of that change. His influence will help you just as sure as it did mine. Start by opening His Word and reading. And don't just read as some people do to get to the end of the story. Read for understanding. Try to understand what it is that God's trying to tell. Why is God telling me this? What does He want me to do with this information? Follow the advice today. Evaluate your life. Examine it next time. Uh, next, or examine your life next to God's will and then pour your heart out to Him. And change can happen. Now there's many Christians who have done things in their life that they need to change from. Change is not something that only those who have not come to God need to do. Sometimes Christians need to change. Paul said to a congregation of Christians, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. The same process works. Self-evaluation, self-assessment, self-examination, and self-correction. Or as Jeremiah said, let us search and try our ways and let us turn again to the Lord. The most important change that every human being needs to make, must make, is to be born again. The Bible says that when we are born again, that old man dies and we become new creations in Christ. Of course, the things we talked about today certainly come into play in that change, but also along with that, there are the terms of salvation that come from God. To be born again, John chapter 3, verse 5 says that we must be born of water and of spirit. One must be born of water. In other words, one must be baptized. One must be born of spirit. In other words, they must be led by the influence of the spirit through God's word. Or as Peter said it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If, some, if there's someone out there someone within the crowd today or someone watching live, wherever you might be, if there's someone out there that wants to make a change and you want to make a change in your life, I know, I know the mental process. I know what happens. I know one of the first things that's going to happen is you're going to start thinking about the hindrances and the obstacles, 